worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. And a good Tuesday afternoon, Saskatchewan. This is Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally in the Catbird seat for this Tuesday edition of the Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery Products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Coming up on today's program, uh, of course, we have our weekly Tuesday check-in with Glenn Suter on press coverage and I'm going to ask him the question, do we really need all these Canadians playing in the CFL? Does it really that matter that much to the fan base? Arash Madani will join us. Uh, Ewan Huey of the Regina Pats got his first career shutout yesterday in a 6 nothing win over the Calgary Hitmen. And Ryan McNally is here in studio with his sharp-looking Jurassic Park hoodie and Baltimore Orioles cap that I think Colin Lovequist said he was going to wipe something with. Yeah, he's not a huge fan of these uh, Baltimore Orioles. I'm not either. I just I collect the entire league, and uh, I'm three away from uh, com- completing my collection. So I uh, figured I'd rock the Baltimore Orioles hat today. And also, they were named as a potential host of the 2029 All-Star Game. So figured why not? And they have new ownership. And they have new ownership. And they have a really good young core. So and so you've got 29 of the 32 baseball caps. That is correct. I said 32. No, 27 of 30. 27 of 30, yeah. There you go. Very good. Okay. Um, so we will talk to you and Huey coming up a little bit later in hour one. Uh, that was a very electric performance yesterday in that victory over the Calgary Hitmen. I've probably given up on the Pats more than anybody because of the season that they had and going into the weekend, a lot of the rhetoric that we heard from Dante DiCaria was that they needed to win at least two out of three. They didn't do that. And yet some way, somehow on a family day, Monday, a whole bunch of people show up at the Brant center. They look great. And now everybody's optimistic again. So they all played like Corbin Vaughn who came back yesterday. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was, that was a fun game to, to watch for sure. Nice to talk about a win finally. Yes. But before we do that, we will go out onto the Western pizza hotline where we are very Pleased to be joined by longtime Saskatchewan curler Kirk Myers. Kirk, have you been watching the Scotties so far? I have. Uh, you guys, you guys, been taking it in at all? Oh yes, I have. Like nonstop. It's been uh, it's been pretty good action here. Watching it like a hawk, glued to every shot. Yeah. When we can. Well, um, so it's... far, Skylar Ackerman and her Saskatchewan rink at three and two. That sounds pretty good, but is that a bit of a letdown when you get off to a hot start like that and then you have a rough draw or a rough day like they did yesterday? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think when they started out 3-0, they uh, they kind of, you know, exceeded the expectations of, I think, a lot of the curling fans out there. You know, they're the, I think they're the youngest team maybe Saskatchewan has ever sent to the Scotties, so... Um, you know, they, they definitely have lots of potential, but nobody knew what they were going to, you know, what they were going to give us when, 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 uh, when it started. And then they started three and oh, and as soon as they started three and oh, I was just like, all right, like let's roll now. And then of course, yesterday they have the two tough games 
uh, and kind of come back to three and two. So they're still sitting good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, after, after that three and all start and then beating really good teams like Caitlin Waz and then Krista McCarvel, um, you kind of thought, holy smokes, maybe we got something here. And then, and then yesterday, a little bit of a letdown, but, uh, now there looks like they're giving Anderson a, a good run for her money this afternoon here. Yeah. Just as I look at the ticker, it looked like, uh, Saskatchewan jumped out to a two nothing lead in the first end, then gave up a three rock second end and is now trailing three to two as we do this interview live hey listen uh brianne harris made a bit of news being deemed ineligible at the start of the tournament we all know that this is somewhat of a super team that carrie anderson is skipping and they're trying to break the all-time record for consecutive scotty's championships in a row and they're tied with the all-time record holder colleen jones how big of a blow is it to their drive for five to lose their lead the way they did yeah, I mean, it, it's huge. I mean, there, it's one thing to lose a player like that. It's another thing to lose a player like they did. And, and you know, everyone's scratching their head why and trying to figure out why. And, and uh, they're trying to deal with some of that uh, that pressure as well, right? So, I mean, it, it, it's one thing to lose lose that player who Brianne's probably one of the best leads in the world. She's a great sweeper. And, and that she, she gives confidence to Carey. She gives confidence to Val. You know, she gives confidence to that whole team because they know if they throw it close, uh, Brianne and uh, – and uh, and uh, the second there are going to just, you know, take care of it from there. I mean, uh, Shannon and, and Brianne are two of the best sweepers in the, in the world. So when you have them, you, you get confidence. When you lose one of those players, all of a sudden you're reeling a little bit. And then obviously to lose Brianne the way they did, there's a ton of pressure and a, a ton of emotions that go along with that. So I'm certain they're not sleeping very well at night either. Um, that, that also plays a factor. So, I mean, they're still a great team. They still absolutely have potential to win this thing. Kristen Karwacki, who's stepping in, who was playing with Nancy Martin out of Saskatchewan this year, who their fifth is, great player, one of the best players in the game. So they're fine on that front, but it's just it's kind of that, that flow that they're used to going into the Scotties that they, they're not going to have this year. So it'll be interesting how that plays out at the end of the week, but it, it's, it's tough not to cheer for them, that's for sure. And Kirk, you kind of went through something similar too through the Olympic trials, if I'm not mistaken, with Braden Muscoey too. So like you understand, like it's a really big impact. I mean, it's a four person game. So losing one of those players has a pretty significant impact on the team, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, 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 you know, if you get on a football team where there's 60, 70 people on the team, you know, losing one isn't a big deal. But when you get the small team like curling, um, that, that's a huge deal. And, and you, you work, you know, you work so long to get those, those mechanisms in place like the Anderson team has. Um, so everyone knows their jobs and it's really tough to kind of change that up a little bit. Um, and like I said, if you get on a big, huge team, a hockey team, a football team, whatever that may be, you know, usually not that big a deal if you lose a player. But uh, when you get that small, cohesive unit that has worked together for years, um, becomes a finely tuned machine. And, I mean, we've watched Anderson do that over the years. It gets, it gets a little uh, a little tough to deal with sometimes when, when you don't have that crew. But um, like anything in sports, you got to deal with what comes at you. And, and, you know, they seem like they're doing a pretty good job of it there this week. Our guest on the Western Pizza Hotline, Saskatchewan curler Kirk Myers. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings plus Greek food like savlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. Uh, Kirk, I know you're doing the mixed doubles thing uh, with Laura Walker. Is that all you're focused on this season uh, for curling? 
that's it. And I'm focused on having a few beverages in the past when the briar comes around, because there's nothing better than a briar in Saskatchewan and there's nothing better than a briar in Regina. So uh, I'm focused on the mixed doubles thing. Uh, and, and Laura and I are having a good go at that this year. We, we got nationals coming up uh, the week after the briar. So we're, we're getting ready for that. And then hopefully we'll get to win that and go to the world championship. But uh, certainly I'm going to take the week, uh, the briar week for 10 days and enjoy uh, some of the best curling in the world and one of the, or not one of the best, the best curling event there is, is the Briar. So um, I can't wait to, for that to start in Regina. So that's definitely got my focus as well. We'll be excited to see you here, but where do you go for nationals for the doubles? Uh, they're in Fredericton. So they ship us out to Fredericton March 17th and that runs from March 17th to 22nd. Uh, 32 teams will play in that. So every province gets a provincial winner. And then the top, I think 14 teams on the, on the, points list get invites so there's 32 teams and they whittle that down to one over a week and the winner of that goes to the world championship which uh, they would represent canada in Ustersund, sweden so that would be in april so that would be pretty cool to to represent canada canada believe it or not has never won a mixed doubles world championship so hopefully uh hopefully we could be the one to break that curse it's been i don't know 15 years since that that world championship's been around so uh, hopefully whoever goes this year can can break that curse for canada but as we know, when we're watching the men's and women's world championships, it's getting harder and harder to do every year. I'm completely jealous. When do any of us ever get to go to Sweden? So hopefully you can make that <laughs> trip. Uh, I know that you've done quite a bit of mixed doubles in the past. Uh, what is the, for those of us who, you know, I played a lot of team curling and wasn't very good at that and then did some mixed doubles, wasn't very good at that either. Uh, well, what is the biggest difference between playing the two for you? Uh, you know, I think the speed of it, uh, you know, when you, when you watch now, now, especially when I watch a men's or women's game, it's, it's sometimes it t- seems like it takes so long for the end to build, you know, it's a 15, 16, 17 minute ordeal. You know, the first rock is placed and the second rock, third rock, et cetera. Mixed doubles is so fast. So there's, but the end takes about five minutes. You're in and you're out. And then there's huge point swings. So, because uh, rocks are stationed at the beginning of the end and you can't remove any rocks for, for the first three rocks, there's huge, huge point swings. So, there's tons of rocks in play. You know, there's three or four st- scored every end. So, it's really exciting in that nature. And then it's a lot quicker. We're out there for an hour, 15 minutes. You're in and you're out. Whereas, you know, a men's and a women's 10 end curling game now takes three and a half hours. So, and then you add on the practice before, you're looking at about a four hour ordeal. So, I think that's the biggest thing for me. It fits my personality way better. I'm kind of, you know, a little impatient. Um, but I also think it's going to, you know, it, it fits a lot of the, 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 you know, the sports fans nowadays, you know, they can watch an hour game, they can get out of there, you know, they can, you never know who's going to win. You know, I think when you watch, you know, some of these, you know, whether it be home and Jones, Ianerson or, or, you know, Botcher or Cooey, when you watch those games on TV, you know, who's going to win after the first couple ends, right? It's just, it's almost, it, they're, they're perfectionists out there. It's amazing to watch. It's, it's incredible curling, but you know who's going to win. Mixed doubles, it's completely random almost every every game. Some of the best teams in the world get beat by some of, you know, some of the teams that are ranked, you know, two, three hundred in the world. And you just don't see that in regular curling anymore. But that, that really makes a lot of the excitement, I think, about mixed doubles. I feel like that's Kirk's polite way of saying it pleases those millennial punks who have no attention span, just like the ones who they change the baseball rules for, et cetera, et cetera. But all kidding aside. Oh, do I, I, I think we might have a purist on our hands here. Is that, a, is that what I'm hearing? You, pro, you probably don't think live golf is any good either. No, definitely not. I refuse to watch it. I boycotted it the whole way. Hey, listen, I didn't even like the three rock rule. Now we're up to, what, five? So... Yeah, uh, but, the game ain't what it used to be, right? 
I miss I miss the corn brooms. It's like when um, there was a guy who uh, CBS did the Olympics one year, and uh, they had the guy who did curling on on David Letterman, and Letterman says, "Okay, for those of you who haven't seen curling, let's take a shot." And of course, they pull out black and white footage from the '60s or '70s, and they got the big corn brooms, and everybody's laughing. I miss that. But um, while you're taking the year off from other competitive curling, like from team competitive curling, I should say. Uh, do you field offers? Do you get anybody approaching you saying, hey, what about next year? Would you want to be on my team or help me put this team together? And if so, have any of those offers come to represent a province other than Saskatchewan that you can tell us about? Yeah, good question. You know, I, I do get I do get offers. Uh, you know, the first year there was a ton of offers. Now I'm into my second year not playing. The, the, the offers come a little less because I think people know kind of where my focus is. My focus is going to be on the mixed doubles until until uh, the the end of this Olympic cycle. However, that plays out. Hopefully, it's at the Olympics. But if not, we'll see. But um, so I do field offers. Um, definitely some offers from other provinces, but I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you guys. If I were to ever go back curling, I'd be hard pressed to play for any other province in Saskatchewan. I mean, since I was six years old, the reason I played was to go to the Briar for Saskatchewan and win it for Saskatchewan. And that, that was it. So, um, the, the allure of playing for a team outside of Saskatchewan just doesn't really do it for me. Um, right now I'm focused on this, this Olympic run with Laura. We got a good chance here going into the, the 2026 Olympics. I'm focusing on that in mixed doubles, but I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't play for a, a team in another province, but it, I'd be hard pressed to, I mean, there's nothing better, you know, going to a provincial championship, playing the tanker, winning the tanker, getting to put on the green jacket at the Briar for Saskatchewan. I mean, that that's curling for me. So uh, I'd be hard-pressed to go to a different province, but uh, uh, we'll see if I guess I eat my word down down the road. But for now, I'm happy with where I am, and I can't wait to cheer on uh, uh, McEwen, uh, McEwen's boys and, and Flash and the Marsh boys at the Briar here in Regina. So I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. And you've done it a time or two, Kirk. Uh, I believe it's, uh, what, six tankered wins? And seven represent representing Saskatchewan seven times. Yeah, I think you're right. And it was uh, every time it was uh, a little better than the last. I mean, no, by God, there's nothing better. I mean, again, for curling, it's as good as it gets, right? The Briar is, is everything, right? And uh, and I think for a Saskatchewan curler, it's as good as it gets to go to the Briar for Saskatchewan. So I was lucky to do it uh, seven times. Uh, honest with you, I don't know if I'll ever I'll ever be doing it again, but I, I'm certainly not closing the door on that. But uh, I think right now I'm, I'm pretty happy with the mixed doubles thing. It's just uh, the men's game is just too damn long. <laughs> Right, just like the baseball. I'm too old. Right, that's why. That's why nobody watches the Super Bowl. It's too long because it's three and a half. <laughs> See, gotcha. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, you got me. Here we go. We're uh, we're going to be broadcasting the sports cage from the Briar all week long, March first to tenth. The Montana's Briar here in Regina. You'll stop by and visit us, won't you? I will, if you guys will have me. You and I will be fighting about uh, sports, but that's all right. We'll we'll do the whole afternoon. <laughs> That is, thanks, Kirk. Love it. Thanks, guys. Take care. That is Kirk Myers joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline, taking some time away from team curling, focusing on the mixed doubles, which is kind of the wave of the future right now in the world of curling. But if he does get to go to the Olympics, he would get to go to Milan and Cortina, Italy? Yes, it's, it is it is in Italy. In Italy. Okay, yes. I wanted to make sure that I had that. Have they announced the 2030 Olympics yet? Or the destination uh, for the 2030 I, Olympics yet? Well, I mean, Google and Wikipedia is a... No, not yet. They've just... No. Los Angeles is the latest one in yeah, 2028. So. And then, yeah, because I, I knew Vancouver was uh, potentially trying to bid for it. So, 
That'd be nice. I, I was at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, and oh, it was awesome. Did you see any of the hockey? I uh, saw a little bit of hockey. Saw uh, I couldn't afford the tickets to see. Canada. I didn't. No, I didn't see any Canada games. Um, but I saw Switzerland beat Belarus in uh, playoffs, and then I saw Finland win their first ever medal in women's hockey. Yeah, uh, they won a bronze medal against Sweden. So, oh, I remember that. Yeah, that, that was would be, that was really cool. That would be cool to see. Coming up in hour one of the Sports Cage, we'll visit with Regina Pat goalie Ewan Huey. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio six twenty CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Arash Madani will join us a little bit later in hour two as spring trainings are underway in Florida and Arizona. Trying to get everybody into the springtime fever. We'll talk about the Blue Jays, what they did, what they didn't do over the offseason. And he wants to talk about the NBA All-Star game, too. I'd love to ask him about the Phillies adding Whit Merrifield from the Jays, too. Because that's uh, have your chance. That's a pretty big move for my Philadelphia Phillies, but a pretty big loss as well for the Toronto Blue Jays. As uh, Whit Merrifield, uh, a bit of an all, he was an All-Star uh, multiple times, I believe three. So uh, that's a pretty big loss for the Jays. And, you know, led the American League in hits for a couple times too. So like liking that ad for my Phillies, I'll say that. I felt like if the Blue Jays couldn't get Shohei Otani, it was going to feel like a letdown, and that's kind of how it feels. I'm not hearing a lot of enthusiasm about the Blue Jays going into spring training. And I the other slip-up that I feel... I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of this two-headed monster, Shapiro and Atkins. It just feels like they're very scripted, and Atkins is basically Shapiro's puppet, and Shapiro thinks he's an intellect, but doesn't actually go down and know the players or the athletes or care to know them, as near as I can tell. I was an Anthopolis fan. I wasn't happy. But when they took Vladimir Guerrero to salary arbitration, they lost the salary arbitration, big deal, whatever. For how far apart they were, a few million dollars, which is peanuts in the grand scheme of things, I feel like they did themselves a world of hurt, not because they lost the hearing, but they alienated the athlete and their chances to keep him long term. And I saw a photo of Vlad down at spring training in Dunedin this week. He actually looks like he's in a little better shape. Yeah. He looks like somebody who's playing for a big contract, whether it's from the Blue Jays or someone else. And uh, yeah, it's... I'm not a huge fan of them either, Um, but also you can't really deny the work that Double A did with the Blue Jays too, right? Like help really build those 2015, 2016 teams, and what he's did with Atlanta since is insane. And he, to be fair, he inherited a pretty good crop from the previous GM, but the previous GM was a moron who just totally violated the rules when it came to recruiting, and he got a lifetime ban from baseball. I guess they said they're going to let him back in. So... Anthopolis, to your point, walked into a pretty good situation in Atlanta, but you still have to make chicken salad. And he's added to it. Like, that's the thing. Like, getting Chris Sale, yeah, not the Chris Sale of yesteryear where he was, you know, just unstoppable for both the Red Sox and the White Sox, but like, still, like, he's making moves to improve that team, a team that won 100, north of 100 games last season, had have won the arguably hardest division in baseball the last two years. Right. What 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 I what I find ironic in his approach is he seems to have a very different approach from the new age analytics people who just hide in a back room. They fidget with stats. Anthopolis is big on going down, actually visiting with the athletes like 
the players had such a good relationship with him that going into the World Series last year, Freddie Freeman was worried because he texted Alex the day of Game 6 and couldn't find him anywhere. Alex didn't respond because he had COVID and he couldn't be at the game. He didn't want Freddie to be distracted. But that just goes to show you that's a very different approach. I'm not a big fan of all the analytic nerds. Listen, I, I'm for uh, Bob Strum, who was on this program last week with uh, with Barney, and you heard him. He had a great quote, I thought, when he said, I'm all for something if it's, sorry, I'm all for anything that's telling me something, and that includes analytics, but you still have to be able to look the guy or gal, you know, whatever sport, in the eye, and you have to know what they have. You have to see how they interact with their teammates. You have to look at the intangibles. Anybody can study the tangibles. That's easy. It's the intangibles, and I think that's what they miss with people like Shapiro, Atkins, even Billy Bean. Billy Bean's made as many bad trades that have messed up the Oakland A's on their the years that they have been contenders as he had as he has good moves that has put them in contention. So it's pretty easy to be uh, average when the bar is so incredibly low, like it's been in Oakland. I think there's a lot of other GMs who would have done just fine and done everything that he's done. I think Buck Martinez said it best when he commented about, um, remember there was a rule where uh, J.P. Ricciardi said that you had to, every hitter couldn't swing at the first pitch because the analytics said you need to have a long at-bat, you need to see a lot of pitches. Cito Gaston came back and just totally ripped that out and said that was just the silliest thing that we ever had. And, And I'll finish on that point that I thought it was really ironic that in the American League Championship Series last year, you had the Texas Rangers managed by Bruce Bochy, and you had the Houston Astros managed by Dusty Baker. I think it was the two oldest managers in baseball and two completely old-school, conventional thinkers not at all interested in the analytics new way, and you look at the results that they had. So the analytics crowd or sabermetricians in baseball haven't taught me nothing yet. Time to break. When we come back, we'll talk to Ewan Huey, the goaltender for the Regina Pats, who got his first career shutout yesterday. You're listening to the Sports Cage on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Hour one of the Tuesday edition of the Sports Cage continues for Saskatchewan Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery Products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Still ahead on this edition of the program, we will hear from Arash Madani. A little bit of talk of the NBA All-Star Game and also spring trainings. I know McNally has some questions that he would like to ask. And also press coverage with Glenn Suter for Quality Tire still ahead in Hour 3 of the program. You can join in on the discussion by calling us toll-free at one 767 And, of course, you can always chime in on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at 306-936-6262. Another thing that I wanted to talk about on this edition of the program, I wanted to piggyback off of uh, Barney's conversation with that Farnsworth guy, the TV guy from Salt Lake City. Interesting discussion about perhaps the Arizona Coyotes, I almost called them the Phoenix Coyotes, moving there and or just another team moving into Utah. And it got me thinking, 
Why not Utah? So we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the program. But right now, we go out onto the Western Pizza Hotline to discuss a big win for the Regina Pats yesterday, uh, ending their latest skid with a 6 to nothing romp over the Calgary Hitmen. And we're very pleased to be joined by the man of the hour, the goaltender who came away with the shutout, making 38 stops in all for his first career goose egg, Ewan UA. Ewan, welcome to the program. Hey Ryan, uh, this is actually Evan McFeeder's assistant coach with uh, with the Pats here. Um, I, this isn't the first time we've had our names uh, being mistaken, uh, you and, and Evan here. So I apologize for that. Uh, Dante said that you'd be calling me or a communications guy. So um, I think Ewan's in actually a, a team meeting uh, as we speak. But I'm, I'm happy to sit down with you and then chat about our game last night. Well, my bad, Evan. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, I guess, uh, what are your... It's all McNally's fault. We'll just yeah. blame it on him. It is my fault. My bad. Uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, yesterday's uh, big 6 nothing win? Uh, yeah, no, it's, for us, it was an important game for many reasons. The standings were the obvious one, uh, but for us, it's getting our game back to where it needs to be in terms of our identity. And uh, I think that first 10 minutes, if you were in the building last night or anyone got to see the highlights, was a, a glimpse of what we can be moving forward here and what we're trying to build towards and in terms of our intensity and our physicality and, and having a little bit of skill to, to back it up. So uh, we're heading out to this big U.S. road trip, which is going to be a turning point in our season, uh, but it's good to go into that trip uh, coming off a game, honestly, that was, was our first game seven of the year. Corbin Vaughn returns to the lineup uh, tomorrow, or yesterday rather, and uh, it seemed like the whole team played like Corbin Vaughn. Is that kind of accurate to a way to describe it? Yeah, he pulled us into the fight. Uh, no pun intended there. He, he, him and his brother give us a lot of life. Uh, and to have Corbin miss, I think we counted in, in our office today, I think it was 89 days he was off the ice with us. Uh, and to insert him back in the lineup uh, in front of a crowd like that, it, it gave us a massive boost. And uh, he started the game with, with his twin brother's big hit to, to get us going. And then his first shift coming back from injury, Corbin, um, he ends up in, in a altercation that he knows how to take care of himself in and he got our guys excited to play in, in such a meaningful game so he brings a lot to us and in terms of his on ice uh, his personality is very similar to his personality off the ice and he drags us into the fight and keeps our spirit up on the bench in the room uh, and he's an important player for our organization not just this year moving forward and having him back in the lineup consistently is going to be a big help to our back end Evan tell us a little bit about the road trip that you're about to go on um your next game's friday night in spokane washington now um i haven't googled uh how long that drive is but uh maybe tell our listeners about the journey that you're about to embark on something that's kind of one of a kind and only in the western hockey league yeah right and just spot on we uh we talked about it as a group today in the, in the dress room. It's super unique uh, to jump on the bus and have to drive not only across the country, but into a, another country and uh, prepare for six hockey games in a matter of 14 days, I believe it is. Uh, so it's about making sure there's a good work-to-rest ratio and uh, making sure our players have all the necessary needs to be fully prepared to go there because they are important games. Uh, but our group's excited to go, especially jumping off or coming off of our, our win last night and the short turnaround. Uh, the guys are excited to go down into that division, and uh, we feel that there's a lot of winnable hockey games that keep us in the fight. Uh, but it's going to be a war of attrition going down there and, and making sure that 
as we go forward uh, through each of these games here that we can stay healthy and then keep our energy levels high. And it, it's a grind, um, but it's certainly unique to the Western Hockey League. And uh, it's something that each player has to go through. And uh, it's going to be a good learning experience, but also a great building experience for our team. Google Maps tells me that it's 12 hours and 53 minutes on the button to drive from Regina to Spokane, Washington. How are you guys breaking that out? When do you, uh, when do you, when do you, get, a, when do you get in the iron lung and take off? <laughs> well, we just got off the ice to pra- from practice here, and then we're going to get some food in our players now and, and make sure that they get a lot of rest going into tomorrow. And we're going to, wheels are going to be turning at about 8 a.m. And we're going to start our journey all the way through into Cranbrook, uh, get into Cranbrook and, and have a nice sleep in a, in a hotel rather than on the bus. Uh, get a nice meal on, in us early in the morning and, and then make the trip down, cross the border and get into Spokane, hopefully in the early afternoon uh, to get our guys back on the ice to, to get some blood flowing, get a nice skate in and then prep for our game on Friday night. And then, like I said, it, it's going to be 24 hours at a time, but, but getting there is, is part of the battle. And uh, it's honestly going to feel shorter getting there than, than coming back. Hopefully we have a couple wins under our belt for the 18-hour drive home. Yeah, you t- you say uh, take it uh, twenty four hours at a time, Evan. But uh, looking at the tail end of that U.S. swing, four games and five nights like that's oof, that's that's got to be rough. Yeah, it, it's thankfully we're our back end is probably as healthy as it's been since the start of the year, and that's a bit of a blessing going into this. And we've been getting some contributions from all different lines in our four groups, so we're gonna have to lean on on everybody, especially late, later in that trip. Like you mentioned, it's four games in, in five nights, and we're kind of zigzagging all over the Pacific Northwest. It's not exactly a, a straight shot from one city to the next. We're, we're trying to go in three hours at a time and passing through Seattle, I think, three times on this trip, which is uh, a little bit unique in, a, in itself. Uh, but again, it, it's, these guys are high-performance athletes, and as an organization, we pride ourselves in, in giving them the resources so that they can perform. Uh, and that's all we're going to ask is the boys take care of themselves. We'll do our best to, to make sure they have some downtime. So we got our energy levels uh, for all six games, but specifically those games against Portland and Everett on the tail end. Yeah, and Everett and Portland happen to be the top two teams in that U.S. division too. So that that could be a uh, tall task as well. Uh, wanted to also ask, you know, you talked about the uh, health of the team. Tyson Butchkowski's been out for quite some time now as well. Uh, is this an instance where you, you know, maybe think about bringing an extra guy or two onto the bus uh, for a road swing like this uh, to make sure that uh, you have the bodies in case you need them? Yep, yeah, we're going to, we've called up Cameron Kuzma, so one of our top prospects from uh, the U18 team in Notre Dame. He's going to join us. Um, our back end, like I mentioned before, we were we were running pretty much six guys for the better part of six weeks, and that's a lot of hockey without any uh, nights off and, and hoping that we stay kind of unscathed through that stretch. And now we've got Corbin back in the mix. So we've got seven healthy guys, and Butchkowski's trending towards a return on this trip. So we'll we'll be heading down south with hopefully eight defensemen that can play some minutes for us, two healthy goaltenders uh, with Huey coming off some pretty good performances. And then our forward group, uh, like I said, where we're getting some balanced play from everybody, so we're not having to lean on, on Tanner Howland and Braxton Whitehead to play 20-plus minutes a night. We're able to distribute minutes, and that's going to be important for us uh, going through this grind. Or having to rely on you and Huey to have a perfect game and a shutout. I'm sure you'd be happy with one of those on this West Coast swing. It sounds like that trip's going to get tougher and tougher as you go. I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, Coach, but going into a six-game stretch, uh, are there any internal discussions you can tell us about where you, amongst yourselves, say, we got to get four out of six or we got to play 500 or anything like that? 
yeah, each week, Rob, we go in and, and we want to set some small internal goals. And, and the way the games are set up going into this trip, uh, we got back-to-back Friday, Saturday, Spokane, Tri-City. So we want to get three out of four off the hop there. Four out of the four would be ideal. Um, but going into those buildings on the road, three out of four. And then we get a two-day break um, before we head into Seattle and Wenatchee. And then there, that's another three out of four uh, opportunity for us. And then we talk about the back half of the, the trip where it's Portland, Everett. Uh, if we can saw off those, I think that'd be a pretty successful trip for us. And, and that brings us home over 500. I think it keeps us in the, in the mix here for that eighth and final playoff spot. And we're playing meaningful hockey going into this trip. And that was a goal for us after the deadline to give ourselves a chance going into, into this long stretch of games on the road. Uh, and now we just got to make sure that we put our, our best games forward. And we've been talking to our guys about a bit of a game seven mentality here for uh, about a week and a half. Uh, and we, we saw the, the best of our group here on Monday morning. And now we've got to carry that mentality going game after game uh, into these two game sets and then getting three out of four as we go. I was going to ask you about that. You know, going into the weekend, there were a lot of people who covered the team and people who are eternally optimistic. And the consistent messaging I was hearing was they need to get two out of three. That didn't happen. And yet, you came out on Monday, uh, I watched the game on TV, it looked electric, it sounded electric, you got a nice big win uh, against a team that you have to leapfroggers right around the, the pack uh, if you're going to get into the postseason. Does it feel different now because of not just the win, but the way it happened on holiday Monday? There's certainly a, a sense of optimism going on that trip. Uh, that, that game on Monday, as you mentioned, like that's a turning point. If, if we drop that game to a team we're chasing, that's a pretty big uphill battle. Uh, we have to climb with only 12 games left on the schedule with this big trip ahead of us. And then they get the two points, but in, in the fashion that we did, and it, it was to our identity and what we've been trying to build with our foundation since training camp here. And um, if we can carry that forward, I think we're going to set ourselves up. But However, the cards may fall later in in March. Here, we got to continue just to to have that playoff mindset, and we are playing playoffs uh, within the Regina Pats dressing room right now. Whether we're in a seven game series or not, we're we're trying to just to live to play another day. That means a lot in the standings. It means a lot for these players developing. Um, but yeah, that that game that we just came off of, we're going to definitely lean on on the good things that happened in video and all the enthusiasm that we played with. We got to start with that and spoke on Friday night. You guys are entering this week eight points back of the Prince Albert Raiders, and they have a game in hand on you, but you still play them two more times before the season is done. Uh, They're in seventh. You only need to get in the top eight. But because of the fact you play them home and home, um, is that the team that you're eyeing up? Is that the team you feel like you have to run down if you're going to get in? You know, I think I don't think there's a certain team that we're trying to, to chase down. We're just trying to chase down points, and we got to leapfrog two teams to get into that eight spot right now. And um, Lethbridge is on a bit of an ebbs and flow of their third season right now. They're probably in the, the a situation where they're wanting to stabilize their ship. So we feel that we can catch them. We're, we're hoping they're in the eighth spot. We're only five points behind them. And then we've taken some games or we taken a, took the season series against Calgary. And uh, that's given us a, some, a chance to be able to climb back into the mix with them. It's going to be a bit tough to catch PA unless we sweep that home and home set against them. So as long as we're playing our best hockey here and um, through this road trip, we'll give our cha- ourselves a chance when we come back home to play PA and Moose Jaw uh, to end the season.
Coach Evan McFeeters, great job. And uh, next time I tee up an interview with you, uh, you can throw us a curveball and send you and uh, Huey to be the interviewee instead. Thanks for this, and uh, give Dante a smack for me, will you? Uh, no worries. Always happy to chat. Thank, thanks for ha- having me. And, uh, yeah, next time if you want to chat with you, and maybe we'll be in the same room. We can tag team the interview. Good show. Great to, great to hear. That is Regina Pat, assistant coach Evan McFeeders, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like savlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. And I should tell you that the sports sticker I had earlier this hour was brought to you by Sherwood Co-op. Sherwood Co-op will pump your fuel while you stay warm inside your car or just pay at the pump all winter long. Should also update you guys. Kerry Anderson uh, just scored two, so it's now 5-3 in favor of Team Canada over Skylar Ackerman's Saskatchewan rink. How is that game not on the TV? Uh, well, Skylar was the feature game back-to-back draws yesterday so that kind of doesn't help because of the bad luck uh i wouldn't even say it's bad luck i mean skylar opened up three and oh and so yeah sure let's feature her against quebec well quebec beats them and then you know obviously you want to feature two young emerging teams and Sturme from alberta and you know ackerman from saskatchewan well ackerman lost last night so yeah it's you know, I'm I'm okay with not having the feature game as long as Saskatchewan keeps winning. So look at McNally making apologies for TSN. Come on, we see the ads that are all the New Holland Combine and all the other ads that indicate that clearly it's people in Saskatchewan driving the bus on the TV curling ratings, just like with the Rough Riders and everything well, else. They featured Alberta four games now. So I mean, you know, you're still getting some Western content, right? It's not PEI versus Ontario. In a, yeah, in a TV game, right? So, Time to break. Still ahead, Arash Madani and Glenn Suter. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Coast to Coast with Rash Madani. Still coming up on this edition of the Sports Cage and also Glenn Suter. Want to ask him, is it really that important that we have all these Canadians playing in the CFL? This edition of the program for Saskatchewan Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, about um, your interview with Jamarcus Hardrick. Yes. Feels like everybody thinks that was the biggest win in free agency. Do you feel that way? I 100% do. Because, uh, again, it's you can never have too much good talent at offensive line for the Riders. And, uh, you know, like you think back to the last time the Riders won a Grey Cup in 2013, you look at that offensive line and, oh, goodness, there was some really good offensive linemen on that team. You look back at uh, 2007 with Gene Mikowski, Jeremy O'Day, Mike Abu Meshrick was on that team as well, right? Like there was a oh, lot of good. Oh, way to pump his ego up. <laughs> 
But there is a lot of good offensive linemen on that team too, right? And Canadian offensive linemen as well. So, you know, it's it's always important to, you know, protect the QB. And the best way to do that, big, strong offensive linemen like Jamarcus Hardrick and like the guy they picked up uh, today as well in uh, Jonathan uh, Hubbard. Uh, so hopefully that, uh, you know, that kind of fortifies the offensive line a bit. Ryan Skevier too, who they signed last week. That's a that's a big name to bring in to play guard. So I'm looking forward to this offensive line and how they're going to play. Does that bother you that it seems like they lean so much on Americans to be the tackles? I mean, you used to have a lot of good Canadian tackles. They brought back Philip Blake, but you can't really, like, let's be honest. At this stage of his career, he's going to be 39, I want to say this year. So he is unreliable at best. And it just seems like they're always relying on bringing in an American to play the tackle position. Is that a failure on the part of the organization to develop a decent tackle? Canadian tackle tackle is just a hard offensive line position because I think you you just move the most right on tackle because you're on the wing right always the highest paid and tackles that's right especially the left tackle is always the highest paid because that's the blind side right I mean if we want to go movie reference there with uh, Michael Orr Um, but you know it's it's a hard position to kind of nail down whereas like it's mostly that interior that gets those Canadian spots right I'm not saying that you know those Canadians can't play tackle I think Brandon LeBat played tackle at some point too when he he when he played so like those Canadian offensive linemen they're versatile enough to do it but you know like you usually it's like you could do it for a game or two but not for yeah. 18 games yeah like and it's I'm not sure if there's a, a yes or no question an answer to that question Brendan I think it's more so just like if they're available to do it why not but if you have someone that you know can play tackle why not send them to play tackle, right? Cheaper so, labor too if they're an import. So you that's don't exactly right. So much. A Canadian tackle would be like uber expensive. Yes. At this point in the game, you can chime in on the discussion on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line three zero six nine three six sixty two sixty two, or call us toll free at one eight six six seven six seven zero six twenty. And uh, before I go to break, I just wanted to tell you I'm disappointed that you didn't mention the eighty nine Grey Cup winning offensive line, uh, Vic Stevenson. Roger Aldag, Bob Poley, Ken Moore, who probably made more fame blocking for Flutie in the later years, and Mike Anderson, if you remember him. I just do Grey Cups that I remember, Brendan, because I was not around in 1989. You just do do curling (laughs) trivia. You don't do curling trivia, yes. Time to break. You're listening to The Sports Cage, the Tuesday edition for Saskatchewan Lotteries on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage, on 620 CKRM. Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you on the Tuesday edition of the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Still ahead on this edition of the program are Nick Service in Emerald Park, Clutch Performer of the Week. But right now, it's time to go out on the Western Pizza Hotline for today's edition of coast to coast with Arash for smart investing solutions be smart with your money call brian golly at smart investing solutions 546-2533 Arash madani joins us now and Arash, i know we wanted to talk about a few things 
especially this NBA All-Star game. Um, yeah. You know, they combined for something like 400 points, and this comes a few weeks after the NFL Pro Bowl. They've changed that a few times. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of interest. Why do these leagues keep having these All-Star games, and why do they keep having them bunched together like this? Well, I mean, stop if you've heard this before with professional sports leagues. The main answer is money. You know, for, for a lot of these leagues, especially the NHL, the NBA and Major League Baseball, this is kind of like their AGM, their town hall, their sponsor gathering, their corporate activations. It's all of those things all at once. So anybody who invests any kind of significant dollars into the NBA, for instance, um, over the weekend, was there in Indianapolis. Anybody who invests in the NHL a few weeks ago was here in Toronto. And that's why it has nothing to do with the game. It has nothing to do with tradition. It has nothing to do with any of it other than the fact that this is the kind of corporate dollar get together that everybody writes off a ton of expenses on and is able to meet under one roof. And so long as that's the situation, because you can plan for this weeks and months in advance you can't do it around the cup final because you have no idea where you're going until the last minute. And that actually matters. You know, there's, 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 there's a championship to be awarded. So that's kind of why they're stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. You know, it wasn't that long ago. The slam dunk contest was a big thing and we've seen it come and go right. Uh, when, um, sorry, is it spud web or Richmond spud web? I think was the first yeah, slam dunk. Star. And then uh, Vince Carter, Vince Sanity, everybody got all excited about that. It seems to kind of come and go. Is there any kind of solution to making it more compelling on a regular basis? Well, star power, you know, that, that's what you need. And bless Jalen Brown for doing it this year. He did it to a tri- as a tribute to a friend of his who had passed away. But that's what you need. You need big name players, big name stars to take part in this thing and get people interested. Otherwise, nothing really moves the needle. And I, I don't know about you guys, I just find now more than ever, star power has significance. Maybe it's the Instagram world we live in. Maybe it's the me, me, me culture. Maybe it's whatever it is, nobody moves the needle like a star. Not a game, not an event, not even a championship. You know, if last year Vegas was playing Florida in the Stanley Cup final, did anybody care? But, not me. Right. <laughs> but put two megastars in the middle of that thing. You know, that's why Sid versus Ovi, you go back about 10 years ago, that's why the league was pushing the heck out of that. Because if you can get dynamic superstars going at it, that's what's going to get people's attention. And that's why a dunk contest needs needs the people, the A-listers taking part in it. Well, there's nothing wrong with needing star power, Arash. That's the whole reason we bring you on every week. That's what moves right. the needle for us, and that's what yeah. moves the needle for the NBA. All right, let's shift gears. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have assembled at camp in Dunedin, Florida. Dunedin, Florida. 
and uh, I'm going to have to drink some more water. Spring training is officially underway. I think about the big storylines from the offseason, of course, Vladdy Guerrero winning his arbitration case and coming back. Um, would you say that the two biggest position players to keep an eye on this season are the same as they've been the last few years? That's Bowen Vladdy. Yeah, and maybe even the last four years when you think about the rebuild and then where they are right now. And it's twofold. It's Bo and Vladdy because they're going to be the centerpieces of this team. They're going to be the stars of this team. They're going to be where the bulk of the offense for this team has to come from. So that that's one side of it. The other is they are pending free agents at the end of 2025. And that sounds like a long time from now, except this just in, we're in 2024. Like at the end of next year, if Bo and Vlad don't get major term and major dollars, we're talking in the 400 range, $400 million, they're going to market. And so how this all unfolds for this year is just so pivotal and how it sets them up for the, you know, this off season, next year and all the questions, and then ultimately if they get to free agency, that's another. Because, Brendan, I don't know about you, but I don't foresee a scenario in which at least one of them doesn't go to the open market. Like, mm. And so, you know, this is now more than ever put up or shut up time for both of these guys. Brendan, or rather Arash, I wanted to ask you about uh, the loss of Whit Merrifield to uh, my Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, how much will that hurt the team, not only defensively, but also on the base paths? As he's uh, you know, quite a speedster uh, when it comes to stealing bases. Yeah, I, I don't think much. I, you know, Merrifield was serviceable for them. They bring him in at the deadline a couple of years ago. He did what he was brought in to do. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has been, has been signed. He's a little more of a utility player than Merrifield. May not have the speed of wit. You know, they bring in a veteran like Justin Turner, who's won a World Series with the Dodgers before, has played in the AL East with, with Boston. I don't think a loss to Merrifield is going to be significant. But what it shows is that this team hasn't had a second, a true second baseman in quite some time. Really, since Marcus Simeon and Bo Bichette were up the middle. And, you know, they're going to have the rotation of Santiago Espinal and Kevin Biggio and Kiner Falefa. Like, it's just going to be a bunch of guys who are going to be shuffled through. I think that's as much a reflection on today's baseball as it is, you know, what that position is today for, for the Jays. I know... Um... Well, by the way, thanks for crushing McNally's hopes. He was all excited That's about all right. getting Whit Merrifield. No, he's uh, look. Whit Merrifield's a good piece for that team at this at this juncture. You know, like it's Philly's built to win now, and I know Toronto is too. But you know, when you look at how this this whole thing is constructed, what the Blue Jays want is position flexibility outside of Justin Turner and Bo Bichette and. Vlad, you know, when you look at the field, Springer's probably going to play a couple of different positions this year. Varsho's probably going to play a couple of different positions this year. I bet you Kevin Kiermeyer gets a bunch of days off. It wouldn't surprise me if you see a guy like Biggio play first, 
second, right, third, and left this year. Wow. So the reason why Whit Merrifield's no longer a Blue Jay is because what, what the Jays are preferring is that kind of flexibility, that kind of philosophy could play two or three different positions, whereas Merrifield really is, quote-unquote, just a second baseman. I know uh, Jose Barrios showed his face in Saskatoon earlier this month at the Kinsman Dinner. They always bring out the heavy hitters for that, and the people are excited to see him and Joey Bats. Uh, how are you feeling about the Blue Jays' pitching staff as we enter 2024? Well, you think about last year, it was one of their strengths. Well, it was their strength. You know, Chris Bassett pitching 200 innings. That's massive. Kevin Gossman being a legit Cy Young finalist. Like, if not for Garrett Cole... I have to believe that Gosman was the guy. Barrios really kind of emerged as somebody you can rely on. Yusei Kikuchi reemerged from the dead. And now they get Alec Manoa back, who's been kind of on this nutrition workout mission to show that 2023 was an aberration and that they can get more of 2022 out of the big man. All that's well and good. The question is, can they do it again? Can they get 200 innings at a Bassett now of that without injury? Can Gosman stay healthy the entire way? Can Barrios get through the season without getting knocked around? Was Kikuchi's season real? Or was that something that he was able to kind of pull out of the rabbit's hat? To me, as, as many answers as the Blue Jays pitching staff provided for them last season... Coming into this year, there may be just as many questions with it because outside of Gosman, there hasn't been a track record for all of these guys. So, big question. Can this pitching staff hold up its end of the bargain? If it does, the Blue Jays are in business. And if it doesn't, then real questions need to be answered. And one more big question with that pitching staff, Rash, Alec Manoa. Uh, are we yeah. waiting to see kind of what he becomes in spring training? Yeah, and and I'm a I'm a fan of of Manoa's makeup. I'm a fan of how badly he wants it. I'm a fan of the competitor that he is. I look I in his first full season in the big leagues. I was there in the camera well beside the dugout, and I saw this guy compete. I saw him compete his his butt off at Yankee Stadium at Fenway Park. You know, in Pittsburgh over Labor Day weekend where the Jays were in a funk and they really needed to get out of it with all of his college buddies there in the audience. On the biggest stages and the big moments after after benches cleared in Baltimore in the middle of September in a playoff race, Manoa came out and shoved for eight innings. If Manoa returns to that, and, and, and guys, I'm being honest, I'm confident he can be. There are very few athletes I've been around who have that kind of competitive mindset the way Alec Manoa does. But if he returns to even close to what that was, that is just huge for the Blue Jays. And that's Manoa's an innings eater. And like I, I'm not joking, I think he's shed forty pounds at least this off season. And he's coming in with an altogether different frame of mind for twenty twenty four. And I think that's just advantage Alec. And advantage Blue Jays. 
they might have to lean on him a little bit more than last year, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a challenge for them to duplicate what they did last year and to go with it. Um, they need a bat. Well, they got nothing out of him last year, so everything from here on in is bonus. You have to thank playing with house money with him for sure, and uh, and they're also going to have to rely on that batting order to produce runs, something they struggled to do too often last year. Um, you know, we keep hearing about the potential with the Toronto Blue Jays after the great rebuild. I say that somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek. And uh, there was a good line, I remember years ago, when Henry Burris was a young quarterback who came to Regina, and it was probably Roy Shivers who said this. I don't remember for sure. And someone asked him about the potential of Henry Burris, and he said, well, potential's just a word for you're not any good right now. You might be good someday. And that always kind of stuck with me. Now, I'm not saying the Blue Jays haven't been any good the last few years. But, Except they haven't. But, well, that, and that's kind of the point that I'm getting to. We keep hearing about this wide window that they have. And I feel like since the pandemic, since they've been at home full time, we've just been waiting, tapping our feet. Is this the year that it has to happen for the Toronto Blue Jays? Absolutely. I mean, you know, think about the trajectory and what, a, what it's been. 2020 expanded playoffs, shortened season, 60 games, they get in. Tampa kicks them in the teeth. That's it. 2021, they missed the playoffs in the last day of the regular season. They vow it's going to be different. It's going to be better. They get into the dance in 22, lose game one to Seattle, up 8-1 in game two, and blow it to get swept. Then last year where they scored one run in 18 innings. Guys, this, this whole window, this regime, this era – has not won a postseason game. And so you look at that quote-unquote window. The window is is open. The window is now. And the window really feels like it can close by the end of next year. That's the thing with competitive windows. You don't have much time to work with. Ask the Kansas City Royals. They got two years, made it to the World Series one year, won it the next, and then it vanished. And that was in 15 and 16. So the, this is it for the Blue Jays. You know, they're not kids anymore. They're, they got stubble on their face. <laughs> it hurts when they get out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, George Springer is, has played a lot of baseball. There's a lot of miles on that body. So this is the time now. They have to win now. And if they don't, if this postseason drought continues, I have to think there's massive changes ahead. Yeah, we keep hearing about the genius of this front office, and we're still waiting. They haven't well, been able from to who? reconstruct. No, but hold on, Brendan. From who? Well, I, from the Blue Jays. From the Blue Jays yeah, themselves, guess, not from anybody I guess they're else. T- telling you just how smart they are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've never reconstructed the 2015 team that uh, got so Always close. be careful when somebody tells you how smart they are. Right. <laughs> That's good advice. Hey, Arash? We never have enough time. Always good to talk to you, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. That is Rash Madani for Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Gawley at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. Time to break. We'll have more. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries on Rider Radio, 620 CKRM. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you on hour two of this Tuesday edition of the program. Still ahead, going to give away some Briar tickets. 
Ryan Mack has some curling trivia coming up. I sure do. You even read me the question and the answer, which is a dangerous mistake. Well, you haven't have blown it yet. Knock on wood. I have a big mouth. <laughs> you can ask anybody in our house. <laughs> By the way, I went out to plug the meter, and uh, it was cutting it pretty close because uh, I needed change to plug the meter right at the corner of saying the wrong street, 12th and Rose. And instead of just giving me change, I said to the missus, I need change. She said, how much do you need? I said, I need this much to go plug the meter. She says, here you go. Ziploc bag with quarters and what is two times? No, six times four. 24 quarters. I've been pounding them into that machine. (laughs) Pounding them into that meter. City of Rajan is going to get rich off this guy today. Uh, Arash asked a really, really good piece right before the break. He said, who have you been hearing that from? That the Blue Jays front office has genius. It's the network that he works for. Rogers. 100%. And I think sometimes people get um, a little overexcited about the network influencing the content. I, I actually think that even Rogers has hired good analysts and as hesitant as I am to call Greg Zahn a good analyst because of the way he left Sportsnet and that was totally inappropriate, the things that he did and got dismissed for. That said, he was a pretty good analyst before that. And it doesn't sound like anybody was ever knocking on his shoulder telling him, well, you need to say this, you need to report that. I think at least for a while, Rogers was treating the Blue Jays as, well, we have to be, we ha- we need our reporters to be beholden to the ball club. It was no, no, no. The ball club is beholden to the reporters. They got good access. They had independence to say and do what they want. I don't know if that's still the case. It just seems very pro Blue Jay management. And that's been the case for a while. Um, Scott Moore was the head of CBC Sports for a while. Then he became the head of Roger Sports. And he sent out some memo. It was really bizarre. And I give Steve Simmons a lot of credit because he showed it. And the memo basically said, in not so many words, hey, cool it on criticizing the Blue Jay management. Let's see how things play out over the next couple of years. I, I found it wildly offensive, and so did he. And I am very anti-sports media owning sports teams. I will be very clear on that. For I, that reason? For that reason, but also it creates an unfair bias, right? Like, you think about it, in a roundabout way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Arash Madani are colleagues. The right. same company signs their checks. Right. Right? So, like, yes, you can criticize Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when he goes 0 for 26 in the month of June, or if that happens, you know, so be it. Like, but at the same time, are you going to want to? Right? Do you because- really want to open up that Pandora's box? And they, they've been guilty, too, of reprimanding their own reporters. You might remember there was an incident years and years ago when Mike Wilner did the uh, pre- and post-game show, and he criticized Cito Gaston. They had a confrontation, and then Mike got suspended for like 10 days, and it caused a big uproar amongst the Baseball Writers Association. He was put back in, and it seemed like Mike kind of won that little jousting. But now, because the media has changed so much, Who's there for a writer's association to stick up for Mike Wilner or anybody else? It creates a really awkward relationship, and we're only seeing more of it with so much of the reporting on NFL teams, CFL teams, Major League Baseball teams moving in-house. Well, even NHL too, right? Like, I'm a Leafs fan. 
right? And people will criticize both networks, really, for too much Leafs talk. Well, guess who signs the checks? Right. It's Bell and Rogers. It's almost like brainwashing Ryan. <laughs> it is. Brainwashing you to love the Maple Leafs. Just uh, but like I Sportsnet don't... is brainwashing us to tell us that Mark Shapiro is a genius. Or that the Jays are the only team you should cheer for. When that's We know that's not the case. Right? I won't cheer for the Blue Jays. They won't support the return of my Montreal Expos. Why would I support the Blue Jays? I won't cheer for the Jays because they traded Roy Halladay to my Phillies. I was unofficially, I a Philly unofficially a part of that trade. Yes. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Coming up, still ahead in hour three, Glenn Suter with press coverage. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the mighty 620 CKRM. Danny Gallagher has been reporting extensively about the prospect of Major League Baseball returning to Montreal. So you could say that he hasn't been reporting much at all, but he's been very well connected to Major League Baseball and the people involved. And we want to pick his brain a little bit about the new roof that they're putting on the Big O in Montreal and how that could throw a wrench into a return of baseball to Montreal. Danny also played with the Regina Red Sox and spent four years writing for the Regina Leader Post. Covering how about that? Some ties. So he'll join us on the cage tomorrow. This edition of the Sports Cage is brought to you by Saskatchewan Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. I want to talk a little bit about um, a segment that Barney, Craig, and Sharky did last week that caught my attention. Uh, they had on their sports line reunion. A guest on from Salt Lake City, Sam Farnsworth. Well, you were here too. You put him I on sure here. was. Yes, yeah, from uh, the TV guy in Salt Lake, and they talked about the prospects of an NHL franchise in Utah. And it's kind of funny how the places that work out are the places you never really think of. Like, how did Atlanta get a team and Phoenix get a team for so many years, and Seattle didn't have a team? Seattle, an actual hockey city in the United States. Minnesota didn't have a team for, I'm trying to think, I think it was 93 when the North Stars left. And then they were replaced by the Wild in 2000. So there were seven years without an NHL team. And yet you had hockey in Arizona and they added hockey in Georgia just before they went back to Minnesota. And you think, how in the heck does that make any sense? You're saying that you're trying to grow the game in the United States in big markets that have NBA teams, Major League Baseball, the NFL, and they don't even have hockey, even though that's what they want there. And instead, Gary Bettman was always obsessed with these other markets. So I actually don't think he's a genius commissioner the way so many others seem to. Uh, when I hear the chatter about how franchise valuations are, I think, 12 times now what they were when he took over, well, for starters, there's inflation. And he's been the commissioner now for more than 30 years. And the values have gone up. I think they're, like I said, 12 times what they were back then. But look at the other sports. Like, do a comparison with the NBA, with the NFL, and with Major League Baseball. And every one of them blow the NHL right out of the water when you think about how much values have gone up. I think it has more to do with the era that we have been going through where these leagues have been able to take advantage of broadcast monetization. 
It's that more than anything. And there is also a lot of worry in Major League Sports that that is coming to an end, or or at least a softening. We've heard about the collapse of Bally Sports in the United States, and that's a, uh, for those of you who don't know, if you ever watch highlights, you'll see Fox Sports Network. That's what that is. It was some company owned it. Then it was owned by Diamond Sports Group, and they purchased, sorry, they sold the naming rights to Bally Sports. And if you're wondering who's Bally's, that's the casino in Vegas for anybody who's been down there. You've been to Vegas? Never. Me neither. Want to, but. I, I've been all over the U.S. I haven't been to Vegas. Figure that one out. <clears throat> one of these days. Yeah, one of So, but but they have gone bankrupt, and that's a big reason why the San Diego Padres ran out of cash at the end of this last season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, see how many more ads we start to see on the jerseys. But the point that Barney made is that hockey in particular is much different when you're in person than it is watching on television. We assume that television drives the bus on everything. And we sometimes forget that, no, not really. Like when you when you watch these events on TV and there's nobody in the stands, the experience is not the same. When they had the COVID bubble in uh, Edmonton and Toronto, you'll remember that when they had the playoffs. I sure do. The ratings were way down. Now, part of that was it was out of season, but still, people were at home, wasn't a lot to do. There were lots of reasons to watch this and people chose not to. I think in part because it just wasn't the same. You don't get the same electricity as when the place is full. So that's a big part of it. And when you consider the demographics of Salt Lake City, Utah, first of all, there have been a lot of jokes about the fact that the Utah Jazz started as the New Orleans Jazz and then moved to Utah. And what a terrible fit that is for a name. And regularly, I've heard comments sneering, there is no jazz in Utah. It's a big Mormon state. There's a lot of religion. And a lot of it's BS, right? I'm sure there's lots of jazz in Utah. It's a big city. It's it's very metro. It's no different than um, a lot of people think Calgary's an oil town. Yes, the oil industry drives a bus on Alberta and downtown Calgary. But it's a white-collar city. It's a very urban place, and it's very different. It's not a cowboy city like some of the other smaller places might be. Except for once, one week out of the, out of the, out of the calendar year, year it's I, a cowboy city. I remember I interviewed for a job in Calgary Sports Radio once, and it was right around the time of the Calgary Stampede, and I realized this would be the one week that I would rather be in Regina than in Calgary. And that's since changed. I'd rather be in Regina all year round. I've since soured on Calgary for other reasons, but that's a whole other topic. So it's a very urban place. The other thing that Sam Farnsworth mentioned is it's very much a winter city. People love getting out for winter events. So the city of Salt Lake City is about 1.2 million. That's like the same as Calgary. And, and that gives it an advantage for two reasons right off the hop. They're in US dollars. And geographically, they're much closer to the American cities that they have to play against the american teams like the st louis blues the colorado avalanche all those places and then the cherry on top is that um i think it's within a 90 minute drive up to ogden and then a 90 minute drive south to provo i think it was utah there's something like 2.7 2.8 million people and at first i thought well it's a small market and they've already got the nba that would become oversaturated 
But then I start thinking about this and you think about how the Olympics went and the Olympics went off without a hitch. They were in absolute chaos at the beginning. Mitt Romney and his corporate sugar daddy friends came in and they pulled it off. They had a great event. It turned a profit. Why not Utah? I think it'd be a perfect city for the National Hockey League. I absolutely 100% agree. Um, perfect market, if, I if, should say. If you're looking to add a team, yeah, great. I mean, you know, we... I'm always a proponent of uh, or a fan of winter cities getting winter sports, mm-hmm. such as hockey, right? Um, was I in love with Vegas at first getting a NHL team? No, but they're making it work. They already have a Stanley Cup, right? Was I, I thought it would be a dismal failure after year five, and I've been proven wrong. Exactly. I'm, I'm of the same ilk, right? I mean, I'm still not in love with Arizona having a team. I really don't love Florida having two teams, if I'm being honest with you, even though hockey's relatively popular, especially in Tampa Bay, where they've had success and starting to build something in Sunrise, too. But, uh, you know, like, I'm just... I don't know. I prefer hockey in winter cities, and maybe I'm just old-fashioned that way, but uh, I definitely like uh, the idea of Salt Lake City having a team. It's uh, it, it, it intrigues me. I'll say that. You can join in on the discussion calling toll-free at one 767 or on the Capital Text Line at 306-936-6262. The text line brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln. I know you had a text that you wanted to read on the text line. Yeah, you know, uh, we had a uh, texter, Travis from Regina, uh, saying that uh, our conversation about uh, the Toronto Blue Jays and you know sports media owning sports teams uh, and how I'm not a huge fan of it, uh, you know, talking about how the Riders and uh, Harvard Media, uh, the company that uh, we both work for. I don't know about you, uh, Brendan, but uh, I don't think the Riders ever told me what to say. So they've never told me what to say. And, uh, you know, we can't speak to the experience of everybody who's worked here, but I still choose to believe that you do get a little bit of extra juice when you have the rights holders or when you are the rights holders and i think as long as at the end of the day you are always thinking of the listener as number one my favorite broadcaster of all time still to this day uh was a fellow by the name of jeff courier who hosted Sportsline on this program for i'm gonna say 11 years in the late 80s and throughout the 90s and he was very different from most sportscasters out there And he was always against anybody cheering in the press box. He was always against anybody having a rooting interest. I would even argue Jeff was probably overkill in that. He he said, if you have a rooting interest, you don't belong in the press box because you cheat the viewer or you cheat the listener. And that always stuck with me. Now, Jeff wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And on Jeff's calls, you would hear a little more excitement when the riders scored a touchdown like touchdown riders more than if it was the other team. And I think that's okay too. But by and large, those are good guiding principles to go by. And I remember when I um, started doing the broadcast for the Estevan Bruins years and years ago, all the thanks I would get from the farmers around there who said, you're doing a heck of a job because the organization was in turmoil. We would report very openly and accurately on it because I just didn't know any other way. And that seemed to win over a lot of the locals. So are there broadcasters out there who are constantly trying to uh, please an organization? Sure. Do I agree with that? No. I, I think organizations should be less concerned about, you know, the broadcasts that are happening 
than the on-field product. But I can tell you that from my experience, and Ryan's telling you from his experience, we've never experienced any of that. And I don't expect that to change either. Once again, you can chime in on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at 306-936-6262 and toll free uh, 1-866-767-0620. Time to break. We'll be back with more after the break. Still have to give away some Briar tickets, a little curling trivia coming up in hour three. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Still ahead in Hour 3 of the program, we will check in with Glenn Suter, press coverage for Quality Tire, and also give away some tickets to the Montana's Briar coming to Regina March 1st through 10th. We're going to be broadcasting live from the Orange Top, under the Orange Top, I should say. I still call it the Agrodome. Yeah. I uh, do not remember a time it was the Agrodome, actually. It's always I, been the I Brand barely remember it time. either, but it was the first impression I had of the place. You can chime in on the discussion on the Capital Ford Lincoln text line, 306-936-6262, or call us toll-free at 1-866-767-0620. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at SportsCage is our handle. And I know, Ryan Mack, you've been doing a lot of work posting on Twitter. Doing my best. Finding the cool stuff that everybody's watching. The millennials. Found a, else. found a jersey faux pas not too long ago, actually, and uh, posted that to Facebook and Twitter earlier today. You're not talking about the Saskatoon Berries thing. Oh, no. I love that jersey. But I'm talking, it was a half and half jersey. It, it is on our Twitter, on sport, at SportsCage on uh, Twitter and Facebook, of a Gordie Howe jersey split in two. With a Seattle Kraken jersey that also had uh, Howe's name and number on the back. And I don't know how I feel about it. I don't like it. Uh, I'll say it. I don't, I don't like it. You know, Gordy Howe was not around to see the Seattle Kraken become an NHL team. And also, like, that's just, that's a legend, right? You, you don't mess with a legend's jersey like so that. So who did the jersey? Was it the Kraken themselves or was it somebody else? It was two guys that were at a game this weekend, maybe at... Uh, at uh, one of the outdoor games at the Mets in New York. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I saw it and it was like, that can't be okay. I don't like those half and half jerseys that look like somebody puked all over them. <laughs> you know, like like um, when you see the traveling Yagerettes or the traveling Yagers, sorry. Okay. Them the Yagerettes. That's cool because you've got tw- uh, 12 different people wearing the 12 different jerseys that he wore. Mm-hmm. I don't like those jerseys that are cut off half and half. Uh, another time I was in Minnesota at an NFL game and I watched the Vikings play. It doesn't matter. I think it was the Giants. Could have been. The one season. And there was a row of people and one guy was wearing a Favre Vikings jersey. Another guy was wearing a Favre Jets jersey, a Favre Packers jersey, a Favre Falcons jersey, and a Favre Southern Miss jersey. I thought that was cool. I don't understand where people get the temptation to cut a jersey in half and make it half and half of one and the other. I actually don't collect like the mainstream jerseys because to me that would be boring. You know, I might get my wife a Mahomes jersey for for Christmas because why wouldn't you? Yeah. And she has a Tony Romo jersey. She was a big Tony Romo fan. I am too. He's just so good looking. And... (laughs) How can you not have a man crush on Tony Romo? He's got he's got the life. 
And, you know, so I might get the, the, the jersey for the odd star, but I don't want a Tom Brady jersey. I don't want a Ben Roethlisberger, uh, ben Roethlisberger jersey. There's tons of those jerseys out there. So when I was thinking about what kind of a jersey would I order, I actually had a custom CFL jersey. That's what I do. I had one of Turner Gill from when he quarterbacked the Montreal Concords in the early to mid-80s. And you'd say, well, Turner Gill wasn't a big star up here. I just wanted a Concords jersey. That's a time in CFL history that I'm really fascinated about because that was a huge turning point for the league. I had another one done of Vince Ferragamo when he left the Los Angeles Rams and signed with the Montreal Alouettes. I have a really cool XFL jersey, the He Hate Me jersey from, from the, the Las, Las Vegas. Vegas uh, not Las Vegas Posse. That was the CFL team. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Las Vegas XFL team, the Whatever He they Hate were Me jersey. Called. Rod Nobody Smart, remembers. I think, wore it. Yeah, so that that's that's in my collection, and I, I love it. It is one of my favorite jerseys. Also, Roy Halladay Phillies jersey. That I think that's my number one jersey that I have in my collection. So that there's one's a, that one's number one for me. There, there's a lot of different sites that do the classic jerseys, but it's hard to find one that does good CFL jerseys. So that's why I was excited about it because it's like my nerd love. And then I will send this jersey away to Vince Ferragamo, and try to get him to sign it and maybe send a bottle of wine because he owns a bunch of wineries apparently. Hopefully I get the jersey back. I guess there's always some risk when you do that. That's true. May yeah. get lost in the mail or... And and I'm not going to frame yeah. it either. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to take it to Grey Cup. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to show it off and I'm going to promise Vince and Turner when they sign my jerseys that I won't sell the jerseys. What I will do unless I'm trading it for another classic CFL jersey or if I use the proceeds to... Buy more classic CFL jerseys because CFL uniforms are beautiful and we don't see them enough. I think that it's a travesty that when you go out on the West Coast, you see way more Seattle Seahawks gear than you do BC Lions gear. And the BC Lions have some beautiful unis. Like, let's see some more of that swag out here. When I did a three down nation uh, top 10 NFL CFL quarterback twins. That was a pretty fun project to do. I made Cody Fajardo Carson Wentz. I think that was very <laughs> unflattering for him. But when I was thinking about it, I did Russell Wilson and Bo Levi Mitchell. And what I got ripped for it because, including by Eddie Steele, because uh, Russell Wilson's very much an athletic quarterback and Bo Levi Mitchell's not. He's more of a drop back passer. But I said it, it's playing style is only one part of it. There are so many similarities, one of which would be the amount of jerseys that they sell in Calgary. I wonder how many more jerseys, who has more jerseys in Calgary, Russell Wilson or Bo Levi Mitchell, pretty good chance that one of them is number one in that city. Aside from the usual, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, whoever else. I remember still having an Aaron Rodgers jersey when I was a kid. I have no idea where that thing is now, but uh, yeah, no, it's you're right about CFL jerseys. There's there's some good ones out there. Even like like even going back like a ways, the Toronto Argonauts used to have some really good jerseys. What's I like their, with their current, jerseys now. I I'm, I was about to say I like, like their the jerseys gum? now. I, I I don't mind their jerseys now, right? I think the baby blue is a little too bright, but uh, like even their classic, like you know the Boatman when they played in the Rogers Center. 
Like those jerseys were nice. Like the number and you know everything like that. Like that was those were nice. I think I think the league's got it pretty good right now. There's two teams that have really poor jersey quality. Maybe that's a little bit strong. There's two teams that could use an upgrade right now. One of them plays, I don't know, a half kilometer away from this studio. I don't like all the piping. Like the jersey's pretty good. It's funny because Phil Kershaw was the team president when they or on the executive when they came in with that jersey. And he sounds like somebody who's kind of surprised that 40 years later, they're still wearing the same. I mean, you know, the trim is different, but really it's the same logo. Logo is fine. They just need to clean up some of the piping and crap all over the jersey. And then the Ottawa Renegades. I don't think that's a good look for the Red Blacks, you mean? Sorry, Red Blacks. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and they need to clean theirs up, too. I think yeah. they need to go with more of a retro clean look. One that's not so busy. But if those two teams clean it up, great unis right across the league. I'd put them up against just about any NFL jerseys or any other league. Well, we'll say, like, there's a lot of talk. Why don't the Raptors just use their retro jerseys full time? But then that's not special, right? You think Labor Day Classic, those jerseys are special, right? That's a special occasion, right? You know, so that's why I'm not on board with that. But uh, no, like, I don't I don't mind the Raptor jerseys now. I really don't. But, uh, you know, if they change them, they change them, right? I'd be okay with it if they made... You're talking about the Safeway S. They, if they went back to that full-time. Yeah. I'd be cool with that if they wore it. And just as long as they keep, you know, use this other one as a third jersey and then have a fourth jersey and then just play with it. But I, I do think that whatever the best jersey of the bunch is, you should wear that full-time. And I think that if, if we're in agreement, and some of us are that the Safeway S is the best one, they should move back to that full-time. And I'm on Team Sean Kleisinger here. Shout out, Sean. Uh, bring back the black jersey. Those were nice. Those were sweet. Those hey. were so good. Like mid-2000s. There was yes. one that I saw that was bid on uh, Luke Mullinder, actually. I sent it to him. I think it was 2004 is when they trotted yeah. those out. Like the black with the green numbers. Mm-hmm. Those were nice. And they stole that from uh, from Calgary because Ross oh, yeah. Shivers had been in Calgary and he was trying to make things more like Calgary over here because they had a winning program and we didn't. Yeah, I missed that one too. I think that was a that was a good look. Coming up, Glenn Suter for Quality Tire. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show, The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. And time for hour three on the Tuesday edition of The Sports Cage for Saskatchewan Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you in the cage. Still ahead, we will hear from Glenn Suter in, well, today's edition of press coverage. I love that intro. We're going to take you into the radio octagon. Like, Ryan's going to put Brendan in a headlock, and <laughs> Brendan's going to fight his way out. It sounds almost like WWE, the metal That's cage what I was match. Thinking. You yeah. Know? yeah. I was cool with that. Speaking of that, I, I love publicity stunts. I don't know how you feel about them, but... Um, there's been a lot of chatter between Boomer Esiason and uh, John Hodge of Three Down Nation because of some negative coverage back and forth. I don't know that they would ever come up with the money to pay Boomer's talent fee, but think of how awesome it would be for a Grey Cup in Winnipeg in November to fly Boomer in for a cage match with <laughs> John or anybody else. 
And, you know, you have them come into the ring. They can wear track suits. They can wear, like, muscle shirts, boxing gloves. And then you announce the real events that they're going to do, like an air hockey game and a trivia game and just stupid things like that. And announce that from the proceeds so much, whoever wins, you know, uh, if Charity the Canadian wins, kind of yeah, it'll like go that, to yeah. like the Boys and Girls Club of Winnipeg. And if Boomer wins, it'll go to the Boys and Girls Club of New York. Yeah. And think of the amount of fun that the panel in New York would have the following Sunday showing Boomer in a cage match with somebody in Canada. <laughs> I brought it up with a promoter over the weekend. He said, I think you're on to something. Yeah. But I don't know if they're going to come up with the money to pay. You know, I, I've heard that TSN people want like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. I would think Boomer Esiason would be much more expensive unless he really wants to spend the week at Grey Cup. In and Winnipeg. Yeah, they could do their show. Him and uh, nobody remembers the other guy's name. It's not the same guy who went to jail, his other co-host. So just an idea, a good publicity stunt it's in the something. works for, for the Canadian Football League and Grey Cup Week. Okay, uh, you have some tickets to give away. I sure do. Today's tickets is to draw three. The Saturday, March 2nd at 6 o'clock. Saskatchewan will be taking on the defending champion Team Canada. I believe that's the Brad Gushu rink. Uh, so you get some uh, entertainment for your Saturday night, March the 2nd. Uh, so here's the deal. If you want to win these tickets, text 306-936-6262, your name, where you're from, and the answer to this question. Are you ready, Brendan? I'm ready. Lay it on me. Who is the only skip to throw two perfect games at the Briar in the same day? That's the trivia question. Text your answer along with your name and where you're from to 306-936-6262. Uh, quick hint for you. He's the only, he is the first skip for Team Saskatchewan to throw a perfect game as well. So it's a Saskatchewan skip. It is a Saskatchewan skip that has thrown two perfect games at the Briar in the same day. As that text line lights up, which of course is brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln. I love the trivia. Figured I'd add it, you know. I was the biggest prize pig when I was growing up listening to CKRM. I think I've told the story how um, you could only win every 90 days. It, who was it? Willie and Fred King yep. would do the morning show. And I would call in. I would win my stuff. And then less than 90 days later, I would call in again, and I'd have the right answer. But I'd have to get my brother to do it. <laughs> and, of course, you That's know, how bad be, I was. It'd be sports stuff, too, right? I mean, I Always, remember, yes. I yeah. remember listening to Willie and Jamie delivering the leader post all throughout uh, Lumsden, where I grew up, and uh, definitely trying to enter in those contests as well. And, uh, you know, getting my mom to phone while she's driving, because back then that was legal and, you know, obviously not recommended. Because nobody did it back then. Now no one did it, does it, right? Or tries to. Uh, coming up, of course, we will have this program live from the Montana's Briar for the first 10 days in March. Uh, even on the weekends from two till four, we will be live from under the orange top. We'll have guests there and the same type of programming you're hearing now, but it'll be very focused on the briar. And of course, uh, if you need the text line to give your answer, 306-936-6262, follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Sports Cage. They call it X. I don't know that anybody actually calls it X. I still haven't figured out why they've changed the name. 
that platform that used to be officially called Twitter. Um, Glenn Suter will join us a little bit later in hour three. It's a slow news day in the Canadian Football League, and I expect it'll be slow for the next few weeks, probably right until the end of March. Some are criticizing the league for having the free agency period during Super Bowl week, and I don't think it was done that way by design. I think that the free agency day was always set up after the Super Bowl, but it's because they've created this one-week negotiating window when all the stuff happens that conflicts with the Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see if the league and the Players Association try to push it out maybe another week uh, to get a little more, a few more headlines, a little more clickbait during the week of the Super Bowl or when it actually happens so that they're not competing with the Super Bowl the week of. But one thing that I wanted to talk with Suits about is about the Canadian player ratio. This has been an issue since the beginning of time. And I'd be curious to hear his thoughts on an idea that I have about a compromise that could satisfy developing more Canadian talent, have less Canadian players, and open up a whole new world of opportunities for the Canadian Football League. That'll be a little bit later when we visit with our pal Glenn Suter for Quality Tire. Do we have an answer? We have a winner. Congratulations. Ding, 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 ding. Congratulations, Larry Morrison from Regina. He was correct. Matt Dunstone did it in 2020 in Kingston for uh, Team Saskatchewan. There you go. Sorry, who's the winner again? Larry Morrison from Regina, uh, Saskatchewan. Wins the uh, wins the. First set of uh, Montana's Briar tickets we're handing out. We're going to be doing this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well this week. So uh, be prepared for your curling trivia coming up uh, in the show throughout the week. Larry Morrison from Regina, you're off to the Briar. Congratulations to you and everybody else who reached out. And you kind of made it easy. You made it a Saskatchewan skip who was recent. I couldn't figure it out. How about Kirk Myers throwing a dig at me for... <laughs> Being well, a purist, huh? I guess, you know, I mean, uh, maybe he just likes sports the way they are now, right? Maybe. No, no, that's how change. I am. He wants to change it. He well, thinks everything should be quicker. He likes the he likes the five rock rule now in curling, right? You know, and he he might like the new changes in baseball, too, right? I mean, I, I don't like any of the change. I miss know? ties in hockey. I don't. I really don't. What was wrong with it? You come in, you get a point. I get a point. We fight hard to the bitter end. But now there's, you know. Not that. <laughs> but the, but the, the, the tie would get you excited about the next meeting, especially if you'd meet in the playoffs. Everybody says that getting a tie is like kissing your sister, and that's true. So that was motivation enough to try to break the tie, and then it would just build and build and build until you actually had a playoff confrontation. I would actually prefer if they did regular season overtime three on three for 10 minutes because shootouts to me have just lost their luster. I think they were a noble idea at the time, but I would like to see more three on three overtime. And as you know, someone who's called you think in the playoffs too, or just the regular season, because they already def- do it in the pl- regular season. Yeah, definitely regular season. I'd want to see it more. Uh, well, how, how far do they go now? Five minutes? They go five minutes. Okay, you're saying you'd like to see them. I'd like to see them 10. extend it to 10 mm-hmm. to like not 
they may as well eliminate the shootout at that point, right? Because I think after 10 minutes of three on three overtime, like that's, you're going to get a goal at some point, right? I mean, shootouts have gone way down since too, right? So that's a good thing. That is a good thing because again, they've lost their luster, right? And maybe three on three does at some point too, right? Maybe we're begging for the shootout to come back in another 10, 15 years, right? And that's what I like about sports. We're not afraid to admit it's time to change. Right. And in I, some sports in some sports, you're right. You know, you know, up here in Canada, we love our three down game and I love it, too. Right. But we're always willing to tweak the rules. It always seems like, you know, at least once right before the season starts, CFL says, oh, yeah, here, by the way, here's what we're changing about the league. And we think it's going to increase offense or we think it's going to make the game more fun, more exciting, or quicker to get the ball, back or quicker to get trailing. the ball or yeah. something like that. Right. Right. And, you know, even the NFL, to an extent, they're willing to change as well. Like, their overtime rules. You know, in the Super Bowl, we just saw it, right? San Francisco did not know the rules do you, for overtime. Do you, uh, so, so I like the change that they did in the Super Bowl rules because it was ridiculous that it, there was so much placed on who won the coin toss. Exactly. And, and there's still some of that because if you think about it, Everybody's ripping the Niners for taking the ball first. What they don't understand is if the Niners scored a touchdown, and then San Fran scored a touchdown. Sorry, Niners. And if the Niners then KC scored a touchdown, then it becomes sudden death and the Niners get the ball. Exactly. So I would argue that the Niners made the correct call. What I don't like about this NFL rule is now it's better than what they had. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But that overtime could go on and because you saw it, right? They almost used up 15 minutes. And the whole reason they wanted to keep overtime short to begin with is because players start falling, players start cramping up. CFL and U.S. College have the best overtime rules. I would agree. But I like, you know, with playoffs football, I like the way it is now with uh, the NFL because that is a grand stage. The Super Bowl, that is a grand stage. You, as the fan, really don't care how long that game is. You want to see that game get a winner, and you want to see it you know, with an exciting play, which I feel Kansas City provided us with a walk-off touchdown. Like, how... Like, we're going to remember that Super Bowl for some time, right? Because... Good ending. And again, it was a great ending to a really good game. You know, granted, the first half was slow, but the second half, like, that's what got everyone interested right and so i don't know i like the way it is now it's definitely better than buffalo losing when they don't touch the ball in overtime i like it and also green bay has kind of been screwed by that a time or two too so yeah well i think the idiot (laughs) rule makers in the nfl are always a good 10 20 years behind us but Mm -hmm. that's just me i'm a dinosaur all right, time to break. This is the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries, bringing communities together. Sask Lottery products fund over 12,000 sports, culture, and recreation groups across Saskatchewan. Still ahead, Glenn Suter for Quality Tire. You're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKM. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
CRM. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Capital Ford Lincoln text line 306-936-6262. Or call us toll-free 1-866-767-0620. Follow us on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and Facebook. At Sports Cage is our handle. Brennan McGuire and Ryan McNally with you in Hour 3. Still ahead, we will check in with Glenn Suter for Quality Tire later on this week. There's one guy in southern Ontario who seems to be emerging as Canada's resident expert on broadcast rights, how networks make money off of professional sport. I'm always curious about why the NFL is such a good news story, happy story, why the networks pay so much money for that, why networks pay so much for hockey, basketball, etc., and comparing it to the Canadian Football League and where that falls in. I've done a lot of reading on the history of it and whatnot. And one question uh, that I'll pose to our guest tomorrow, a fellow by the name of Adam Seaborn, is what the Super Bowl ratings in Canada are 10 million people. The Grey Cup ratings in Canada are 3.5 million. But that's kind of an apples to oranges comparison because they show the Super Bowl on uh, different networks. Like they're on CTV. I think they're on CTV2. They're on TSN. It's like right across the Bell Media Network. It's Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. So naturally, your numbers are going to be a little higher. The Grey Cup is on TSN. I don't even think they're on all TSN channels because they've got the Sunday Nighter usually going. So, they usually have that on TSN too. Yeah. Right. So, so what would be the difference if you put the Grey Cup on all platforms? And and number two, why don't they put the Grey Cup on all platforms? I don't doubt for a second that the Super Bowl would do better than the Grey Cup in Canada still, but those numbers are way skewed. Like when people say that it's three to one popularity, that's not a fair comparison because there are a lot of people who are just casual viewers who tuned in to watch the Super Bowl who don't have cable but have access to CTV. And we used to have the same setup here in Canada where um, people would watch it on CTV and CBC and, you know, the mainstream, you would get the mainstream viewer that way. And there's a lot of mainstream viewers who don't watch the Grey Cup, particularly in Southern Ontario because they don't have the cable package or they don't pay to stream it. So I would be really, really curious to see what that would look like. I would too, actually. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point you made. And uh, it's actually been debated in the uh, Harvard Media Newsroom from time to time as well, right? You know, is, what would the numbers look like if CTV aired the Grey Cup as well, right? And, uh, you know, it opens it up. If Anytime you can open it up to a new audience, why not? That's my thing. The Grey Cup used to get ratings at one point that were comparable to what the NFL gets in Canada for the Super Bowl today. There was um, um, when the Rough Riders appeared in Grey Cup 2010 in Edmonton, the ratings, the average uh, viewership was over six million people. So it makes you wonder what kind of potential is there if they did show it on the main networks. And I'm sure there's a reason why they don't show it on the main networks. I actually think it's probably a compliment. And I'm a pro CFL guy. I make no apologies for that. I think that it's actually a compliment that they don't put it on the main network because what they're saying is this is such a valuable property that we're only going to have it on TSN so that people 
by the subscription. It's no different than in the National Football League with the playoff game in Kansas City where it was minus 1,000 degrees. The Chiefs and the Dolphins were playing, and it was a big controversy because Peacock, which is uh, NBC's streaming giant, put it on there to make people subscribe. People were angry. They were mad as heck about it. And they went ahead, they they covered their noses, and they paid the subscription fee. And it worked out just fine. They sold a ton of subscriptions, and they had pretty good um, audiences. Now, in the Canadian Football League, they're using the Grey Cup, not the Canadian Football League, TSN, Bell Media, they're using a Grey Cup as an anchor. No different than they use Raptors basketball as an anchor. No different than Rogers uses Blue Jays baseball as an anchor for you to buy Sportsnet. So I think it's a compliment to the CFL that they put it on these other networks, that they just put it on the cable channel. And I've heard some critics suggest that I don't think it would make a big difference for the Grey Cup if you put it on multiple networks. So why bother? And my, you know, because sports fans know where to find their sports content. And my response to that is, well, if it doesn't matter, then why does the Super Bowl do it? Why does why, why, why is all this NFL football on broadcast television and on the cable network? And why is the CRTC okay with this? Because the whole reason as to why the CRTC exists and why they grant broadcast licenses is for the good of the country so that we have lots of great programming to watch but also to create an industry in Canada. If a day came where all of a sudden everybody had ESPN and there was no TSN in our living rooms or we we could just watch ESPN, that would be the death knell of the Canadian Football League. So a big reason why TSN is there to begin with is to prop up that industry, especially for people here in Saskatchewan, so that we not only have a league, but a league that is strong and vibrant. So what, what the heck is the CRTC doing to make sure that networks like TSN are actually promoting. And look, I'm not picking on TSN. I love TSN. Suits is going to be on with us. He's a TSN commentator. But I feel like I wish TSN did as much to promote the Canadian Football League as they do to promote the National Football League. And you're going to have a hard time getting that answer out of Glenn Suter, I think. Well, we're not we're we not going to go there. Glenn, we hope not. Glenn we doesn't hope we don't make get those there, decisions, but, no. but I'm just making the point. Like the yeah. broadcast quality is good. I'm saying, why aren't we seeing it on more networks and on That's more true. platforms? It's like the the NFL can brag about Joe Buck um, and Troy Aikman coming back and how great that's been for them. They just had the highest rated Monday Night Football broadcast in almost 30 years. Well, they're on like five different channels. Another thing I'd like to see is, uh, you know how they do the Manning cast on yeah. uh, Monday Night Football? The Flutie cast? The Calvillo cast when he's not coaching a CFL team? No, but I'm, ta- I'm talking about the brothers, yeah. Darren and Doug. Yeah, why not? I would watch that. Something I'd give it different. a chance. I'd give it a chance. I The, the Manning cast kind of lost me after three, four episodes, and I suspect yeah. the Flutie cast would too. But these are ideas, Mac. And I don't care that they cost money and there's logistics. I want to see these ideas put in action. Glenn Suter, still ahead on this edition of the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. 
And this is the Tuesday edition of the Sports Cage with Brendan McGuire and Ryan McNally. Time for Glenn Suter's press coverage for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Glenn, um, I did a little bit of reading over the weekend. I always read up on Rob Vanstone's old historical stuff, and I read about the feuds between General Manager Bill Quinter and Jack Goda. There was something of legend back in the mid-1980s. And it got me thinking, Danny Barrett once told me a story that when he played with Jack Goda, when he first came into the league, they called him Six-Pack Jack because it was full-body contact, all-out slugfest in practice all day, every day. Guys would have separated shoulders, etc., etc. What do you remember about playing for Jack Goda? Well, back in those days, Brennan, they were, uh, you know, we had 110 guys go to training camp, so it was very different. I mean, there were usually around 100, and, you know, we would scrimmage in camp on a regular basis, like full contact, full tackling, uh, and then we often play that um, offense against defense exhibition game that I don't even think was really fully sanctioned or anything by the league with the Bombers. And then we'd play our preseason, which was four games in the preseason. So, yeah, I mean, the, it was sort of a very different landscape back then when it came to protocols and practices and, and player safety certainly was not top of the top of the priority list. So, but for Jack Goda, like I, I remember just standing beside him in games and just uh, enjoying his um, sort of cavalier um, approach to coaching football. But also, and I don't mean not caring. I, I mean, it was this relaxed telling stories with each other and with different guys on the sideline about where they're going to eat later that day. Uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, whether they should gamble on third down or not. So it was was some interesting times to stand on the sideline beside him. But, you know, any one of the coaches that I've had through the years, I'll never forget in a training camp practice, uh, I often got in a fight with uh, Ray Elgard every year, which was delivered in the first three years because he was our biggest, strongest guy. The fight was quick, and Elgard used to body slam me, but at the end of the day, he was kind of like, I'm willing to take him on was the message I was trying to send. And I remember Jack Goda coming over and saying, you're a lot quicker than I, than I thought you'd be. And I thought, why? Because I'm Canadian, because I'm a white guy or what, what is it that you're wondering as to why I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm quicker or faster than you thought I'd be. Um, but at the end of the day, I made the team with him. So yeah, I got nothing bad to say about him, just that it was a very different approach than you'll, than you'll normally see. You, you probably made the team just for that reason and no other reason. Uh, I feel like, uh, well, I'm sure there were lots of other reasons, but I say that in jest, but uh, it sounds like he was quite a character, and we've had a lot of characters yeah. in the CFL over the years, and Don Matthews comes to mind. He was a character. Um, is Chris Jones the closest that we have to a character like that today? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I mean, Chris Jones, I'm not sure that there are those characters anymore. I think every year since I've been in the broadcast booth, I've watched the evolution of the game become certainly more uh, protective of players and the player safety aspect. Uh, Definitely uh, the almost the seriousness of it. Uh, And again, I I don't mean that back in the days the guys didn't care or we didn't care at that time or it wasn't as important because it was our livelihoods and it was 
you know, it was, what are you prepared to do? Are you willing to die to win this game today almost? And um, that was true back then as well. But I've just seen a more um, official, serious approach to watching film. I mean, and probably technology has something to do with that. There's so much more available now to coaches and players that weren't then. I mean, we used to have to take the Betamax home and watch game tape on our own if that's what you're going to do, or else, or else you had to go in early to the facility to see to see videotape of of the opponent. And now, you know, they can download apps and they they have it on their iPads immediately, and they can do look at it in the game. Um, so, I think a, a lot of probably the approach that has evolved has changed. But yeah, your your question about Don Matthews, I, I would say as far as sort of the old school. Um, you know, like to have fun and stretch and warm up and then get serious when the game kicks off and then and and then be more of a sort of a get to know the guys and you know, anyone who's played for Don Matthews, a lot of people say bad things about him, but any, anybody who's played for him loves him. Most you know, I, I would say ninety percent of the guys that have played for Don Matthews loves him. And I and I love playing for Don Matthews. I mean uh, he taught me a lot about perseverance. He taught me uh he, he was one of the few coaches that could make you feel confident in your job and your role, but also fearful of your job at the same time. So there, there was no, it, it wasn't one or the other. You, you didn't go to work looking over your shoulder, thinking you're going to be cut every day, but you always knew that was there and he wouldn't hesitate. But then he somehow was able to give you great confidence so that, you know, you could be at your best. And, you know, I had a great meeting with him on day one when he was in Saskatchewan and coach Matthews walked in the room and and he said, listen, I know the fans are, are on you. I know that the media has been critical of your play and you're going to be my safety and I'm going to get you more involved. And I'll never forget that conversation because it just immediately made me want to go to war for the guy because he's going to put his faith in me then I'm not going to let him down. So I, I think he has a he has a he had a great knack for that. Make a player confident but fearful. It sounds like they contradict each other, but I see your point. If you can if you can get that out of your athletes, you've got it made in the shade. If you can do both. Um, so <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that I, I brought you on today in part because I wanted to uh, talk about an era that was here at the end of your playing career and at the beginning of your broadcast career and that was the era of u.s expansion and the reason i wanted to talk about that a little bit is because it's been in the news so much about the merger between the the i guess usfl 2.0 3.0 whatever it is and the xfl to create this united football league and it's got my creative juices flowing glenn Souter. that in the united states are networks that want spring football but they don't have an uh, an identity or a history. In Canada, we're always looking for more TV dollars and more exposure, and we have an identity and a history. What do you remember about the U.S. expansion at the end of your playing career when it pertained to the player ratio and all the other issues that encompassed that era? Well, there's, you know, there's a lot to unpack, but, you know, back then uh, I remember thinking that uh, we weren't aware as players as to how sort of critical the finance of financial situation of the league was at the time and that 
you know, Larry Smith and the whole U.S. expansion idea was really essential in maintaining, you know, the league. I mean, the league would, was going to collapse and just financially it needed a boost. And the boost was the, fin- the, uh, the, the fees for joining a new franchise fee for the U.S. teams. And that gave the league the money it needed to continue and then there was the, uh, from a player perspective, there was the, you know, the, the familiarity, like the, the, the thought that all these American players that knew Canada was up there and we lived in igloos and it snowed all the time. That was their sort of, you know, that was their uh, knowledge of, of Canada at the time. And then the expansion happened and they realized, wow, this is good football. It's different. Uh, And a whole bunch of Americans realized what we were doing up here. And so I think it really opened the floodgates to a lot of sort of Americans giving the CFL a chance, especially the ones that were overlooked from the NFL draft and things like that. So, you know, I, I think there was so many positives, but let's be clear about something. There was two things that I don't think back then we should have been doing or that we should do now. One is that back then we shouldn't be criticizing the U S expansion because it opened the eyes of Americans for our game and it saved the league. So, so we, you know, we didn't have the privy of going behind the curtain to see how bad financially the league was in, what, how bad a shape it was in at that time. And it wasn't good from what I understand. So this saved the league. Plus we should never ever apologize for Canadian content. Not then, not now, not ever. So I just, however you want to configure or discuss or tweak the Canadian ratio, it has got to be part of the league, full stop. I mean, they have a ratio in soccer in Europe. You have to have so many Italians on the Italian teams. It's like, you know, you it's it's a... It's, it's okay to give Canadians an opportunity to play professional football in their own country. Um, so I just, th- that's, that's the one thing that I, I think, you know, was two, two parts. One was that we shouldn't always be analyzing the Canadian ratio and whether we should have it or not. It's, it's, it should just be here, full stop. That's it. It's here. That's it. Then we're going to have it in different ways, no matter what. But also, all those teams never had a Canadian ratio in the U.S. And only one of them was good, and that one was good because they had a coach that knew the Canadian Football League really well in Don Matthews. So, you know, you put Don Matthews down there, and he was able to put the roster together any way he wanted. Um, And that team was good, and they won the Grey Cup, and they were the only U.S. team in those years to win the Grey Cup. And they had to work their butt off to get it done. And Tracy Ham was their starting quarterback who had CFL experience. So, you know, every other team in the United States, they didn't bowl over anybody in Canada. I used to think this is actually good for the Canadian ratio, that we're showing people that a team full of Americans doesn't necessarily mean they're better. I mean, we beat all those teams. Sacramento had, uh, you know, a great roster of players. I mean, Vegas with, a young Calvillo and Tameric Vanover and a bunch of guys that <laughs> trying to think of the name and the recall of all the great players that were on some of those rosters. And we beat them handily with a, with a ratio. 
Yeah, those are great points. And uh, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, having the ratio shows that the Canadian teams can compete with the American teams. Uh, have you ever wondered if a Canadian football league that instead of having nine teams has, say, 10 franchises, we, we all hope that it happens one day, I think, uh, maybe even 12 franchises in Canada, um, would a better position to where you could tweak the ratio uh, to address the issue of having American franchises. But the big idea that I have that I would love to hear your take on, we have mm-hmm. failed miserably. And I'm going to say the Players Association, the league, everybody at developing star Canadian quarterbacks for whatever reason. There are many reasons for that. And sometimes if you're trying to push something over the top, you need a little bit of political will. And I guess where I'm going with this is, do you feel like there would ever be any appetite to do something like, okay, we'll make this minor tweak to the Canadian ratio where we will make any Canadian quarterback salary exempt from the salary cap or allow that Canadian quarterback to uh, count as two starters instead of one? Do you think there's any appetite in the long run to tweak the ratio to say, okay, maybe we'll have a few less Canadians per team, but we'll have a similar number of jobs overall and actually develop star quarterbacks and stars at skilled positions. I'd be curious to hear your thought on that. Well, I, I love the idea of, of the, you know, a third quarterback and maybe even a fourth developmental quarterback on your practice roster um, that is getting paid a really good salary, not, you know, not starters money or anything like that, but a really good salary that uh, helps to develop that position. I, I think, you know, Cutting that down to two per team, you know, with the option of a third if you wanted to put a guy on the roster, I think we're evolving back to the old style, which was three and, you know, probably four in your camp all season long. I I think that position is so important. Now, the Canadian aspect, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think as leaders in the game from a, you know, CFL perspective and the league office, at looking at all the levels of minor football, college football in our country. And even if you're playing on American-sized football in high school, every team in high school in our country should be playing three-down football. And if we, and if we can help in that regard, not, both financially and in other ways with support, then you're going to have development, you know, the development of quarterbacks start at a much younger age. Because right now they play American in high school. And as you know, you don't have to spend the time to find a quarterback that can throw a wide side out on time um, because you, you've got four downs and you need a big, strong running back and a tight end. And, you know, you, you can just pound the ball in high school. So, you know, some teams will do it, and we're seeing more and more teams go to spread offenses because the NFL is going to more spread offenses too. They realize how exciting it can be and how fun it can be and how productive it can be. So we're seeing some Canadians, the Nathan Rourke's, are are starting to emerge. But if the ultimate goal, Brendan, is to is to have American expansion be part of it again, you know, I, I would be listening to – any of these ideas with an American team, a Northern border team kind of thing, states that are, are right on the Canadian border that are closer, that don't have NFL teams. Um, you know, let's talk about that, but the ratio stays. And if, 
you can't apply it to an American team, which legally you can't, um, then their rule in the league office is that they have to have seven or eight starters from their state that played college mm. ball in their state, not not in California or Florida. You have to get them out. Of, so they're homegrown guys from their state and their team and their city. Interesting. Um, you know, and there's, there's ways to do that. I, but, again, if we're going to do that and we're going to go down that road as a league, then the franchise price is a hundred million dollars and people go, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not, we're not that big. And I'm saying, no, no, we, we have to start believing in this league. And the narrative has to be, if you want to be part of it, anyone in the United States wants to be part of it. It's a hundred million dollars to get in. It's a franchise fee. And then you have to have these certain rules and you have to abide by them. And you have to have a field that facilitates our game and all of it. So let's, let's walk around with a little bit more confidence because there are two professional football leagues on the planet, and they're both in North America, and I know there's other people playing football, but there's two full professional football leagues on the planet, and it's the Na- National Football League and us. And um, the business down there is, is the best, the biggest in the world, but our game is the most exciting. I, I love what you're saying. Do it from a um, position of strength and confidence, not from a position of weakness, like they did in the 90s because the financial situation was so dire. $100 million, that would be Glenn Suter-type money to walk around with if you're going to play into that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, Tony Romo-type money. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Hey, listen, time is always our enemy, so... Uh, Thanks for this, and I know I'm going to pick your brain on this very soon again down the line. Thanks for this, uh, Suits, and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks, Brandon. Take care, man. That is Glenn Suter uh, appearing on the Western Pizza Hotline. Perfect pizza with a generous amount of toppings, plus Greek food like souvlaki, ribs, salads, all the goodness you can't make at home. Call Western Pizza today. And Glenn Suter's press coverage is for Quality Tire with nine locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Back to wrap. Up next, you're listening to the Sports Cage on Rider Radio 620 CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. We nearly forgot to do a clutch performer today, Brendan. Nearly. I don't know what the heck they pay me for. Take it away. <laughs> Today's clutch performer brought to you by Nick's Service in Emerald Park, your lo- local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fence dealer. Call 781-1077. How about Selena Sturme? 5-0 and at her first Scotties. And in front of a home crowd, too, in uh, Calgary. Is she so, the one who beat Anderson? She is the one who beat Anderson. She beat uh, Saskatchewan yesterday, Quebec today, 8-3. Uh, to three. Uh, So, yeah, well, I'll give it to Selena Sturme because uh, she's been uh, playing really well. 5-0 uh, and oh at the top of Pool A. And, uh, yeah, her, her group has been uh, on top of uh, the Canadian curling world so far this week. So uh, I'll give it to uh, Team Sturme of uh, Alberta. Very deserving and of course the Sports Cage Clutch Performer is for Nick's Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner and Fent Dealer. Call 781-1077. I was going to say, uh, how about Carrie Anderson? 
just keeping calm and carrying on after losing her lead uh, at the start of the tournament. And she's now 5-1 and one after a convincing win over Team Saskatchewan today. Uh, we talked uh, about U.S. expansion. You know that's a fantasy of mine in the For CFL sure. because I grew up in that era, era and uh, there was so much magic for me, not for everybody. You were thinking like um, small markets, like suits, something close yeah. to the Canada-U.S. border. I'm going to give you a different idea. Wayne Gratzky was part of the group with Bruce McNall and John Candy who bought the Argonauts in 1991. And John Candy was pushing the U.S. expansion all over the place. So was Bruce McNall because McNall was a fraudster and he was running out of cash and he got a lot of money from NHL expansion. John Candy was a lovable guy, but he was thinking about um, markets like Billings, Montana and places in North Dakota because he just thought U.S. expansion would be great. Anybody who wants a team can have a team. That was a bad idea. And Wayne Gretzky, who was their partner, ironically enough, came out and said, I don't want to own the Toronto Argonauts anymore. People in Canada don't even want to follow the Argonauts or the CFL because they are going into second tier markets in the United States. And I think he was referring to like Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, Most of the markets I thought were A markets. Uh, Vegas was an A market. Baltimore was an A market. I would even say that San Antonio and Sacramento were and are still A markets. They've got NBA franchises. But I think that if the Canadian Football League ever goes down that road again, I would like to see them focus on a markets and do it at a time when the NFL is not playing. Sorry, we wouldn't change our schedule. You could have a little bit of overlap like they do now, but the, they're pretty good at scheduling the CFL games on nights that don't overlap with the NFL games. And try a team in New York City. Find a small facility that has the proper field size because you don't need a lot of seats to have a CFL facility. If you have 15, 20,000 seats, like a lot of these rinky-dink American colleges, you could have a CFL franchise there and use old brands. Use the New Jersey General brand. They market that all the time with Herschel Walker and Donald Trump and some of the other people, Doug Flutie. Use that brand. Say, we're the New York Generals. We're bringing major professional football back to New York for the first time in over 40 years. It's okay to... Be loud and be proud, as Glenn Suter uh, mentioned, because then you create, I would say, the reality. Some would call it an illusion or a perception that you are not inferior to the National Football League. You are just different. And that's where the magic happens. You love how I just ranted long enough to use up the clock so that you wouldn't so have a chance to respond. So I can't beg for Bismarck, North Dakota to get a CFL Not team. a chance. <sighs> All right. We made it. Good job on Did what we everything. could. Uh, this has been the Tuesday edition of the Sports Cage for Sask Lotteries. On behalf of Ryan McNally, this is Brendan McGuire saying thanks for listening and good night.